This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, good morning. You're listening to The Morning Run. It's 6 a.m. on Tuesday, the 26th of July. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Wong Xiaoning and Philip C. A very good morning. Selamat pagi semua orang di luar. Did I say it correctly? Yes, Absolutely. well yes, done. Yes, you did. Yes, well you did. Done. We are all Malaysians here. Multilingual, bilingual, well, multilingual, I think. Then. Let's, let me throw that in for good measure. <laughs> What's Tamil Banakam? I, <laughs> I, I, I confess that I am not sure myself. But We are um, bilingual then. Okay. <laughs> in a very limited sense. Terrible. <laughs> All right. Well, on this Tuesday, we have a lot of interesting stories lined up for you this morning, throughout the morning, all the way until 10 a.m. Later on at 7.15, we're going to be talking about Tasik Chini. It's the second largest freshwater lake in Malaysia, and it's at risk of losing its UNESCO Biosphere Reserve status. We find out why from Datuk Sri Dr. Mushrifa Idris of the UKM Tasik Chini Research Centre. And at 7.30, the WHO declared monkeypox as a public health emergency of international concern over the weekend. What does this mean, right? Public health expert Dr. Ku Yung Kian explains the implications. Then at 7.45, we're going to have a channel check on the Malaysian semiconductor industry amidst, of course, this global economic uncertainty. And I'm also curious whether the US chip bill has any impact. Is it good for us or not good for us? Uh, we check this with Datuk Sri Wong Siu Hai, who's the president of the Malaysian Semiconductor Industry Association. We're going to have all this and more today on The Morning Run. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. That was Inside by Skin Shape featuring Aaron Taylor. Before that, you heard You Turn Me On, I'm a Radio by Joni Mitchell. We're the radio, we're the morning run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Philip C. and Wong Xiaoning. We have a message this morning from Tevi who wrote in to say, Good morning, morning crew. In Tamil, it's Kalai Vanakam for good morning. Have I was half right day. then. You were half, half right, right indeed. Only. indeed. <laughs> Thanks so much, Tevi, for letting us know. Malai would be good evening, he says. Okay, ah. so Let's make a note of that. Let we should inform evening edition about yeah, that. Let them know about this. <laughs> All right, we are turning our attention to the first story on our docket this morning. Now, the biggest player in fast fashion at the moment is a Chinese company called Shein which has overtaken traditional giants like Zara and H&M in terms of U.S. market share. So there's a podcast by The Wall Street Journal that explores the rapid rise of Shein and also the present-day backlash that they're facing from the Gen Z users they court. Well, some context to Shein, some history behind it. Its earlier URL was sheinsight.com. So Shein is actually an abbreviation for Sheinsight, and they were just focusing primarily on wedding dresses. I have to say, when I I first heard of Shein, when I first saw it, I was like, how do you pronounce this? Is it Shine? Is it yes, Shane? Exactly. But it means it started out with She inside, so She in. Well, so this is the big debate. I mean, everybody who's a Gen Z or millennial probably has shopped at Shein. I haven't. In fact, what happened last weekend was that the BFM team took me to Genting Premium Outlets to change my wardrobe because I have zero fashion sense. Right. And you, and don't, and you, don't, you don't do Shein. <laughs> I don't even know what Shein is. I'm sorry, why are you calling me uncle? Which is partly true. <laughs> it wasn't partly true. It's 110% true. Uh, but really, Shein is a phenomenal company. So actually, it's heading for a listing. The only thing is, of course, if I look at Bloomberg, uh, private bids imply a 30 billion valuation drop since April. So prior to April, it was valued at 100 billion US dollars, more than the likes of the parent company of Zara and H&M combined. combined yeah. yes. So if you look into the Shein website, which I did, 
because I was very curious. I have to say, you can find some things there for super duper cheap. So you can get earrings for as cheap as four ringgit, not US dollars, four ringgit. And you can get jeans for less than a hundred US, a hundred mm, ringgit. Very cheap. Very, very cheap. And it comes to you super fast. It's super trendy. So whatever you see on the runways, it's copied. It's, it's made for the high street and copied. And it can be sent to you within a month. So they took what Zara, which is the parent company Inditex, and took it one step further by making it even cheaper and even faster. So they dethroned Zara and H&M as the kings of fast fashion, essentially. The question in my but mind the is, how did they? But the pricing is much lower. Than how Zara. did they do it so cheap? That's my question. That is one of the things that has boggled my mind as well. Uh, listening to the podcast by the Wall Street Journal, they did say that what they do is they don't have what do you say? They don't uh, store those items, but they make yeah. it to order, which yes. is why it does take some time. For example, if you were to place an order from Malaysia, it would only arrive maybe two to three weeks from now. You, you tend to kind of forget it, and then you see that it arrived, and I'm like, oh, here my stuff. So this um, is, you're right, this is argument that it's zero waste because what happens is that they crowdsource essentially from TikTok all these fashion, you know, uh, trends taking place and they immediately copy it very fast but it's order on demand, right? Essentially what you're saying here. But there's also this huge backlash among Gen Zs that when you receive the package, apparently each item is wrapped in plastic and materials and that's really causing a lot of discomfort among the younger shoppers. So that's one that's one um, drawback to it. The fact that it comes with a lot of these plastic product packaging. That's one thing that's causing it. Another thing is really how can something so cheap be sustainable in that how are you paying the workers fair wages Absolutely. if you're if you're charging ten bucks for, for a pair of jeans, you know, it just yeah. it doesn't the the maths don't that's brain. Not compute. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's the question people have. Uh, but you know, for what? Gen Zs, although they say, and this is according to the podcast, although they say global warming, environment, ESG is a priority, it doesn't seem to be reflecting in the sales of the company. So we're talking about a company that had 16 billion sales in 2021, and it was only 10 billion in 2020. So, so people like things cheap. Okay, they so like things be, fast, they like things cheap. So I'm going to be an absolute uncle here and say Gen Zs are the greatest greenwashers because they just talk and talk, talk. But when they actually walk, they buy all the cheap stuff then. Yeah, to some degree. But I wonder whether this podcast is the beginning of, a, or at least alerts us to a beginning of this change in terms of mindset. Because, you know, when you look at the packaging and you look at, you should ask yourself, how, how the person who made these jeans how much money did they make per hour yeah. is it way 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 below some minimum wage and I should also be asking myself this pair of jeans how long am I going to wear it for mm. is it, what is the quality True. like am I going to throw it in the landfill very soon I think that's one of the arguments against fast fashion as well the fact that it's so uh, disposable cheap, it, make, it makes it disposable so you think oh if I don't like it it's alright you know I'll just you know I'll chuck it and I'll get something else so that doesn't help the sustainable mindset as well um, and that's something that I do feel Shein and other fast fashion brands are going to have to contend with as um, this talk of the whole ESG movement and climate change uh, continues to ramp up. So on a lighter note, there has to be a balance perhaps versus my shirts, which I keep for 15 years, perhaps out of you trend. You keep shirts for 15 yes, years? Yes, I do, I do. I well, have... if you keep it long enough, my comeback in fashion. I don't know. Exactly. I, but I seriously doubt that. Philip, see what is wrong with your fashion so sense? So I understand that there are two spectrums. I cannot also keep current trends, which are 15, 20 years ago, which is what I do versus what this generation does, which is change within after one outfit and one wear. Okay, I'm the middle ground <laughs> where I 
I do like to keep up trends, but I, I realize that I shouldn't consume so much to the point that at the end of the day, I don't even get to wear the same item more than once. So I think we need to have that balance because I don't want to look like an auntie like you. I want to look like a better Thanks. version <laughs> of myself. But then how much should I consume? And when mm. I pay for something, what is the fair price? I don't have these answers though. What is a reasonable price to pay? So, and also then, should I be repurposing my clothes? So if my clothes are, let's say, not suitable for me, shouldn't I sell it, like to give it to a thrift shop or, or pass it on to friends who will wear it? Which then comes to... So make, it's like that circular economy, yes, isn't it? Which begs the question, the impulse to buy. I guess when you go to a website like Shein, the price is so low, there's this huge impulse, right? You don't think about all these questions that you're posing. That's right. So I'm going to end, I'm going to wrap this all up by, you know, giving this uh, advice. Maybe we should all take up sewing so that we can all make our <laughs> own clothes. And, and then we can also sort of uh, we'll modify what we have. I feel like that's one way to promote sustainability. I'll pay to see Shaoning sew. <laughs> I'll pay to do that. Let me tell you, because I'm so short, I always have to alter the hems of my jeans and my pants, Whatever. which I sew myself. Tell us what you think. Are, do you shop at Shein or what do you make of fast fashion platforms like Shein? WhatsApp us 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. We're heading into some messages. We're going to come back. We'll ask the question, how much are you spending on lunch? Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. That was The Cure with a letter to Elise. You're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Philip C. and Wang Xiaoning. 6.20 in the morning on Tuesday, the 26th of July. Now, the return to office, while welcomed by many after two years of remote working, has been rough going on a few fronts, I think we can say. We've all complained about the nightmare traffic jams we're seeing in the Klang Valley. Plus, inflation has meant that commuting and lunchtime costs are considerably higher than before so how what is this affecting your working in the office experience i'm sure it has and this is the theme called lunchflation where we're seeing lunch prices particularly spike and the question i'd like to pose to all of you is we all know about rising food prices i mean yesterday we had this conversation about chicken prices going up by about 17 percent yeah yep, from just from eight from, Plus ringgit to 10, 10 ringgit and 5 cents per kg. That's right. 8.55 ringgit now to 10 ringgit and 0.2 cents per kilogram. So, of course, we expect food across the board to be higher, breakfast, lunch, dinner. But my question in my mind is, is lunch specifically more expensive than breakfast and dinner? Hence this term, lunchflation. No, I think it's just a general term. And I'm going to bring this conversation back closer to home. Because mm. the Vibes, Vibes paper did this rather interesting um, kind of comparison between uh, prices and this is just a month-on-month comparison Um, so they picked a few chicken rice shops around the Klang Valley and even in Selangor and they compared the prices and I would say uh, there is some price increase even in Malaysia it isn't like every restaurant's done it but you have seen like 50 cents increases like a dollar increase so we are also seeing that here in Malaysia and they also did one for the Roti Chanai and Teh Tarik And that one, yes, you can actually see prices really vary quite a bit depending on location. So, for example, if you're eating roti chanai and tetare in Bangsa, uh, the tetare is like two ringgit and the roti chanai is like maybe slightly less than $1.50. But if you eat it in Jalang Raja Alang, which is in Chowkit, 
your roti canai is just slightly more than a ringgit and the teh tarik is one ringgit and 50 cents. So I want to just balance that con- the, the discussion you mentioned just now, right? We, focusing on the issue about whether lunch is more expensive than usual. Yes, typically we eat out for lunch. Breakfast, dinner is usually cooked at home or eaten, eat at well, home. Well, a lot of Malaysians also do buy breakfast on the way to work. They do. And yeah. they also tapau a lot. But the issue now is that for specifically for lunch, if you're eating outside for lunch, you have to contend with parking costs, logistics. You have to contend with higher labour costs like the servers and waiters. And perhaps I think for many office locations, there's also rent recoverable, recovery taking place right in view that everything was shut down. So I wonder if there was a spike in lunch prices as a result of these logistical increases. And actually what I'm seeing a lot with my friends now is they tapau home, food from home. They cook a lot for dinner and they pack it into smaller bags and bring the food actually to office for lunch instead. I mean, I think that's a smart way to make your dollar run Stretch. further. Yep. So, I mean, yes, I think we will see more people maybe bring food from home. I'm also wondering whether these high costs in going to work, whether that's going to spur a debate about or whether that's going to keep the debate alive about working from home. Because obviously working from home in some ways is going to be a lot more economical than having to travel to work every single day if you also have to contend with lunchflation as well. Yeah, not only lunchflation, but for especially mothers and parents, uh, particularly right childcare. If you go to work, how do you look after the kids? But of course, that affects perhaps to some extent productivity. Yeah, but the other thing that we seem to have forgotten is that uh, when we work from home, we could dress in our sweatpants and look terrible and nobody really cared, right? But when we come back to the office, you can't do that anymore. Exactly. Hence, because hence your little shopping trip to, to And you the can go to Shein and buy all the stuff you want. Well, you shouldn't. Uh, you shouldn't buy whatever <laughs> you want because it will go to some landfill. Exactly. Uh, but you do need to dress up a little bit more, right? Whether it's like, you know, even if the office has a casual dress code, hmm. you can't literally just... Sh- come out of sachet the, yeah sachet in in your pajamas can you and for women maybe you want to you know do your hair do your makeup all that costs money right you need to be groomed in a particular way shoes bags so there's all these expenses that maybe you haven't spent for the last two three years and suddenly you realize hey this all adds up and I think that's the reality coming home to roost. So a very interesting point then, because because of the pandemic, all these things we've not experienced. So we've always perhaps seen the incremental increases, but having been absent from buying stuff, being, having been absent to have lunch meetings, and then seeing it all just come you know, to roost after two years, perhaps that's why we feel the effects of lunchflation more than but anyone else. Clearly, I mean, if you take the US, it's a, it's the jump is so significant, right? Because the consumer price index there is north of 9%. So you do actually feel it. But like what you say, Philip, it's probably true. There is inflation globally in the past. It was just maybe 1-2%, 1-2%. So you didn't really feel it so much. But because of COVID-19, because of the excess um, money in the system, everybody had money to spend and then there was suddenly a surge in demand. We did see inflation jump. Indeed. Tell us what you think. How has your return to office experience been? Are you seeing a significantly um, higher cost in returning to work in the office? You can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. It's 6.25 in the morning. We're heading into the 6.30 a.m. news bulletin. We'll be back after that with a look at global headlines. Here's Courtney Barnett taking you to the news with The City Looks Pretty, BFM 89.9.
That was the Tenement song by the Pixies. You're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Wang Xiaoning and Philip C. 6.40 a.m. on Tuesday, the 26th of July. It's that time of morning where we take a look at what's making headlines around the world. Who'd like to start us off? I'd like to start. Uh, Myanmar has executed four activists according to newspapers all around the world. Uh, the military has executed four democracy activists accused of helping to carry out terror attacks. Now, they were sentenced to death in closed-door trials in January and April. The four men have been accused of helping insurgents to fight the army that seized power in a coup last year and has unleashed a bloody crackdown on its opponents. This is very distressing news, I think, to um, many in the international community, especially the fact that um, these executions have taken place and just the lack of transparency as well. The fact that um, there was there's no information coming out on when, how uh, these executions took place, the why, especially apart from a very vague statement of committing terror acts, which honestly, it's just... I have no words. It's heinous in my view. I mean, I wonder how many more are going to be executed at this rate because they are not the only political prisoners that the junta have arrested. Apparently, there are more than 100 people to believe to be on death row after being convicted in similar proceedings. So this is perhaps the tip of the iceberg. That's right. And these are all very prominent um, members of the pro-democracy movement. These are people that have been in the scene for a very long time who are very well known to the mm. people of um, uh, Myanmar. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering, Nick's... What is ASEAN's response to this, right? Because we are supposed to come together as a as a block to address the issues in Myanmar, and what are, what are, what's going to be followed after this? Where is the envoy? Yeah, where's the statement? So is there going to be a statement? I think that's something that we uh, will keep an eye on for sure. Um, what ASEAN can do or what ASEAN is doing has always been that big question. How much influence does it have over the uh, Myanmar junta? Um, lots of questions and developments to watch here. Uh, Meanwhile, in other news, what else has caught your eye this morning? Uh, I've got news coming out of the US and this is a Bloomberg story and uh, what we do know is that or at least what we think we know House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, staff and security officials aren't actually ruling out plans for her to visit Taiwan in early August. There were rumblings of this last week already. And I think, of course, it's stoking the fires between US-China tensions, right? So apparently no final decision has been made about her stopping in Taiwan during a trip to Asia next month, according to people familiar with the matter. I think China is not happy with this uh, trip, because they have come out quite strongly against the trip. Exactly. And we've got this backdrop of a possible call between Joe Biden and President Leader Xi Jinping. Will it be scrapped now with this news? I think everybody is trying to calm the fires down, actually. Indeed. So (laughs) uh, US-China tensions have been a persistent theme in international news, I think, for the past, what, four or five years now, if not even longer than that. But especially um, ever since, uh, you know, ever since Donald Trump and uh, with President Xi Jinping up uh, this year. I mean, yeah, lots of uh, discussions there. Yeah. Uh, Okay, I'm going to end this on a a bit of a a light note. You know, all these um, cars that police seize because they're stolen, right? I think we could take a leaf out of the Czech Republic (laughs) because the Czech Republic there, the police turned seized Ferrari into petrol car to petrol car to go after stolen vehicles. Well, in Italy, apparently... And like this is reported in The Guardian. Wait, wait, so wait. This is a two hundred. This is a £150,000 <laughs> car, by the way. So wait, they seized a Ferrari yeah. and they have a 
pretty much turn that into a police car yes. so that they can go on chases. Yes, they can go on chases, <laughs> chasing down joyriders at speeds up to 200 miles per hour. Well, I think and it's a Ferrari for those who are fans of Ferrari. It's a 2011 Ferrari 458 Italia. I don't know whether I got that right. Well, can I just say in Italy, there's also a requirement where they allocate some quarter of Lamborghinis to the Italian police force so that they can really chase down. Ah, it is actually part of a planned uh, procurement procedure, right? I don't know whether we that should then hire that. Mark Rumpitz to go after. <laughs> like, you know, no, don't arrest them. No, let's not encourage that them kind them of behaviour. And then, terrible. you know, chase after vehicles, right? I think that's a terrible idea, Shaoning. But I think this is the debate, right? Even actually you see in our police force, we have Volvos, don't we? Uh, Volvo sound exactly like sports cars, right? <laughs> They're more like, uh, sorry? But sturdier yeah. in case yes. they get rammed on. Yes. <laughs> Anyways, 6.45 in the morning. That's our roundup of the international news headlines for now. We are heading into some messages. We'll come back with a look at what's making headlines in the local newspapers and portals. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. That was Eric Clapton. I've got a rock and roll heart. You're listening to The Morning Run, 6.48 a.m. on Tuesday the 25th. 6, 26th of July. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Philip C. and Wong Xiaoning. We are flipping through the local newspapers and portals for the top stories of the morning. What's the first story on that's caught your eye? Uh, front page of the Sinaharian. I think Star Newspaper, page 7. The UKSB Ledger Probe. Now, the Minister Wan Junaidi, uh, Tuanku Jaffa, has said that everybody that's been mentioned in the ledger kept by UKSB, Ultra Kirana Sindiran, will be called by the MACC. This is in relation to the four foreign visa system corruption trial involving former Deputy Prime Minister Dadut Sri, Dr. Amit Zahid Hamidi. And if you saw the UKSB ledger, all known as Buku Lima Lima Lima, a lot oh, of familiar I, I, names. <laughs> this Buku Lima Lima, I want a copy of it. You want a copy how of many, that Buku Lima Lima? How many Buku Lima Limas are there out there <laughs> in Malaysia? I mm. wonder, but the list of on this Buku Lima Lima is very long, including alleged uh, ministers, former transport ministers, and even a former Prime Minister. Indeed. Oh. I think when it first, when the revelations first came out a couple of weeks ago, there was a lot of people were just wondering why this hadn't come out sooner. You know, why, mm. why it took the trial for this, for all this information to actually come out. Why hadn't MACC launched these investigations a lot earlier? Uh, but now we have word from the government that there will be probes going into it. Um, and in the meantime, I guess we'll just wait and see what new information comes out. The list is very long, including current and former ministers. And allegedly. As we said, allegedly, right? And allegedly. former prime minister advisors and all that. It's a who's who of the political system in this country. And talking about who's who's um, in the political system, this is from uh, Free Malaysia today. Uh, and it's a quote, actually, well, our anti-inflation task force chairman, Tan Sri Anwar Musa, was asked at a press conference at Parliament House today uh, about ministers' salaries, whether it should be cut. And uh, he said that, no, no point, because it's not going to make a dent to inflation, was his response. So I think this is the question here and we had this conversation yesterday with I think the um, Muda Youth Chief, right? That I think the bigger issue is either whether you do it symbolically, right? In solidarity with everybody else, that's one. Number two is whether it's tied to performance. And the third one actually is we have a very large bloated cabinet. So whether the question here isn't actually about the cut per se, but the cut in terms of the number of ministries we have as well. For sure. I mean, and I'm, I'm still don't know the answer, right? So we've told civil servants, please spend less, fly economy, don't, don't, 
hire people unnecessarily. Does this then extend to ministers? Are they considered government servants as well? Are they tightening their belt? Because that's the tone, right? The government mm. has told us. Yep. Right? So it should be replicated across the board. I have got to say, you know, especially throughout the pandemic, many companies really struggled. You had the choice of whether you wanted to let go of people or whether leadership at the top really showed example by cutting salaries and taking the lead there. Mm-hmm. Indeed. So, um, I, yeah, Tantri Anwar Musa's comments, mm, not in, I mean, I don't think they're wrong per se, but definitely don't give the right optics for a task force that's meant to dealt with inflation and given the austerity uh, policies just announced by the government. That's right. On the flip side, uh, the Prime Minister has actually urged employers to take the 1,500 minimum wage base seriously by saying that minimum wage is no joke. My question is, why does the Prime Minister need to say this in view that it is legislated, isn't it? Yeah, it is legislated. If your company isn't following suit, there has to be repercussions yeah. for not following it. So because he's frustrated in the sense that... Just there throw are, the book at them, actually, if you ask me. You don't in, need to warn them, You right? don't need to warn them because what he's saying is that on the My Future Jobs portal, the government's portal, right, there are still people publishing monthly salary ranges from 1,200 ringgit. So my question is, why do we even need to make any... Why should we allow that in the first place if minimum wage is legislated? Whether you agree or disagree with the wage, it's already in law. Yeah, so I, I think... You should just, you know, basically just enforce the law, right? That's the point at yeah. the end of the day. Uh, very quickly, remember Super Dynamic, guys? Once upon a time. Who are they? Who are they? Well, they're the oil and gas company. For those who can't remember, that was had like they were suspended for months there were questions over the accounts well guess what the H uh, CEO morning brief has said that creditors vote in favour of Cerber Dynamics scheme of arrangement they've come up with some uh, arrangement with the creditors where they will sort out 15% of what is owned by Cerber Dynamic with the balance to be worked out in another scheme possibly by the end of the year but I think if you look at the share price right uh, what share price it's 8.5 cents only Mm. And just to remind everybody how the mighty have fallen in terms of share price performance, uh, once upon a time, this stock used to be only uh, 2 ringgit and 43 cents. Well, that clearly has been the case. I wonder if all oil and gas counters like Subba Dynamite and even Sapura, whether they will see the light at the end of the day. Indeed, indeed. Something to watch. I mean, Super Dynamic has been on our minds for the past year or so with every single twist and turn of this saga. Uh, what happens next? We'll wait and see. Meanwhile, some headlines very quickly coming out of Parliament. Uh, we have the anti-hopping bill that's finally going to be tabled this week. I think um, it's, be, it's going to be debated in Parliament on Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, we have some news coming out in terms of who... It applies to, it will only apply to MPs, to uh, to federal MPs. It won't apply to state assemblymen or to the uh, senators for now, at least. So that's one uh, new thing coming out. And another uh, another development in parliament is the fact that they passed the um, SOCSO uh, security bill for housewives. So I think that is also something uh, to note, uh, yet another layer of social protection for housewives in the country. Um, how adequate is this is, I think, an open question and open to debate moving forward. But it is good to have these kinds of news, these kinds of uh, social protection measures for many segments of society. 6.55 in the morning, we are heading into the 7 a.m. News Bulletin. And we'll come back after that with a look at how global markets closed overnight. Bob Marley and the Whalers taking you to the news with I Shot the Sheriff, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. 
To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.